presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Rayondin Kennedy and Lango Dean, sit down with the Laboratory and Program Manager for National Renewable Energy Laboratory and 2022 Bay STEM Conference Professional Achievement and Government Awardee, Dr. Roderick Jackson, for a conversation on investing in a clean future. Up first is Career Communication Group's Managing Editor, Rayondin Kennedy. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Dr. Roderick Jackson. Dr. Jackson sets the strategic plan for NREL's building's portfolio while working closely with senior laboratory management. While at NREL, Dr. Jackson has been recognized as a distinguished member of research staff. In addition, he is serving a three-year appointment to the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy Research Advisory Board, which began in 2021. Dr. Jackson has been the recipient of numerous awards throughout his career, including the National GEM Consortium Alumni of the Year and Greater Knoxville Business Journal's 40 Under 40. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Riondin Kennedy and Lango Dean. All right, welcome to another episode of High Tech Sunday. This is episode 52, and I do want to thank Brandon for another amazing intro. Uh, 52 episodes in, I feel like we're becoming pros at this, but we have a great episode for you talking to Mr. Roderick Jackson, and uh, he is one of our 2022 Bayer winners, and uh, that is just a couple of weeks away. And if you aren't registered, we hope that you would, would check us out by visiting www.bea.org. There's still time to register. The event's coming up here in February uh, 17th through 19th. It's a wonderful event. And so I just kind of got to pay the bills and make sure I make that plug before we get into our conversation here with Mr. Jackson. And so, like Brandon said, we're here to talk to Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Fantastic. I'm, I'm excited to kind of get into our conversation and talking about uh, the future and the future of clean energy. And I know that that, that you got a lot of uh, information to talk to us about. But before we do that, uh, Mr. Jackson, I really want to kind of talk to the audience and let them know exactly who you are, how you got started. You know, like I told, tell you uh, in, our, in our pre-conversations, uh, this is uh, uh, you're the superhero here. We want to know your backstory, your origin story, and really get a sense of why you're one of our 2022 Bayer winners. And so the first question I want to kick off with is, is really to kind of tell us how you got into the field that you got into, uh, that you're in, you know, why did you choose that path? So I, I can start with, um, you know, I, I, I think it was in, I think R.G. Wilson's Miseducation uh, of the Negro, we talked about how so often when choosing a career field, um, particularly at the time when people would kind of deviate from the pathways of their parents because of the opportunities that were made available, and he postulated that it would be better if kind of as new opportunities were made available, if you could kind of leverage the kind of the legacy or le- leverage the kind of influence that your parents had and not run away from that. He made reference of a person whose father was a mechanic. Could they become a mechanical engineer instead of running into a different field and starting all the way over? So, and so it's reading, so it's using that as kind of a backdrop. I tell the story about my own dad. So my dad was, you know, one of 16 kids. He had, um, there was 11 boys and all 11 boys built houses. And so like, from the age of three, I was kind of like introduced into that field that my dad and his twin brothers provided that legacy for. And so then, you know, so just growing up throughout high school, middle school, I was always on the job site with my dad. Uh, building houses and so but i i kind of had a passion for science and engineering and so the opportunity when, when i graduated high school i went off to georgia tech and got my degree in engineering but i came back to mississippi to work i was working in manufacturing at the time my dad i retired and he was like well you know what about coming back into and, and working and and we form a business together and it was at that time and i was like okay well it's the same thing i want to do because you know maybe this isn't for me but you know i was reminded of that that, that kind of the, the context of like really, you know, you can go farther if you can kind of leverage the the influence and experience of your of your forefathers as one of those things that I think Cardi Wilson kind of you know talked about. And so then I was like, well, I could actually take advantage of 
my dad being a framer and kind of bring to the table the engineering, the science perspectives that I had to take it to another level. And I was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, and plus he was, he was going to be on the business side, business ownership side of it, instead of on the labor side that I grew up doing. So I said, I could dig that. And, but then that passion and that kind of connection with science and engineering took me back to grad school. Cause I was like, you know, I want to do science and engineering. I still, I still have that, you know, desire to get a terminal degree per se in, in science and engineering. Cause I wanted to have more influence on really exposing other, particularly people of color into the field of engineering. And I thought I could do that through having a degree, like a PhD in mechanical engineering. So I went back to school, but I thought, well, you know, I have this passion for energy, this family legacy with buildings. Science engineer, could I bring all that together? And the opportunity came to really do research on energy in buildings. <laughs> so I was like, wow, like this is really truly kind of that marriage of kind of, you know, a lot of the things that I've kind of been growing up doing with that interest in science and engineering, that build that, that kind of passion or interest in energy. And then taking that level of like, okay, not running away from what my parents and my dad and his brother, the legacy they put in, actually using it as a platform to build a career on. And I was like, wow. So yeah, that's a long story with how I got to where I am. But it was really started with my dad and his brothers and the building construction that they kind of influenced me to get into. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's a, and that's a wonderful marriage of, uh, of different skill sets and knowledge. What exactly drew you to energy, right? Because you could have gone and you could have did the construction and you kind of followed the, the, the legacy that of, of your family. But you chose to kind of intertwine that knowledge and kind of with this, the, the energy field. So how did you, what, what was, what drew you to energy as, as kind of the, the point? It was, it was in my senior design class at Georgia Tech. Um, I had a professor. Um, he, he was, so in, I think, so in 96, 1996, the Olympics were in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I had a professor who actually was influential in designing the torch because the, the Olympic torch, it kind of goes from city to city through the year preceding the Olympics. And so he was um, actually my professor for my capstone design course. And his big focus was energy. He was always talking about energy and, that, and the course was on energy. And it was in that course, he was like, wow, energy. You know, he was like, yeah, we're going to have some, you know, he started about peak oil, going one day around oil. Energy is a big deal. And so I was like, man, this is, seems like this is something that I should get into. And really was piquing my interest at the time. And I was always a fan of thermodynamics. Um, you know, and so just in thermodynamics, it's full of energy. So I was just, energy has always been that thing. And then kind of coupling that with this kind of, you know, this, this, this perception that we one day get peak oil. I was like, wow, I really like to do something energy. I didn't know what it was at the time and they didn't know how, but just that kind of initial kind of influence of that, that capstone design course, the senior capstone design course kind of piqued that initial interest. Yeah, it was something that you knew you was interested in. You didn't really know where it was going to take you, but you knew you wanted to get on this ride and just see where it went. Yeah, I had no clue when, when we were talking about it in the capstone design course, but that it would one day be the perfect kind of marriage to kind of that, that family connection, right? That be able to connect to that building construction because, you know, building construction is cool, but I, I you know, it, just, it, it gets pretty hot in Mississippi in the summertime. So it's just like, I, I, just, I, I wasn't <laughs> built to, to, to kind of be, you know, to do the construction side as much. So it provided me an opportunity to bring kind of the background research and energy to the table. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, Mr. Jackson, one of the cool things about High Tech Sunday and, one, and, you know, kind of the reason we call it High Tech Sunday is because we're able to talk to people like you who are very passionate about what they do, very high level uh, uh, STEM leaders like yourself. But we also get to talk about kind of like the spirituality and kind of how the spirituality influences what you do every day and how it influences your drive. And so my question is, how has your spirituality kind of influenced your drive, you know? Uh, you know, it, it influenced me in so many ways. You know, I, I first, you know, just, just from a standpoint of both my dad and my mom, but very, you know, a spiritual influence in my life and, and really encouraging me to always keep, you know, to, to I think it's like, you know, know who you are and whose you are. I think that was every time I go out of the <laughs> out of the house, like, you know, know who you are and whose you are. Um, and so, and whose you are is like knowing that I am a child of God and that's something that I should be reflective. That should be reflective of what I do, wherever I go, no matter where I go, that should be reflective. And then even in what I do, right? Cause you know, in all you do, do as to the glory of God. So if that's in my grade, if that's in my grades, if that's in my job, if that's in my research, I should not do it just for the sake of a boss that I'm doing it for. I'm doing it for, you know, I'm doing it for the glory of God so that people will see, okay, well, it's not just, 
you know, Rodrick is doing this, so they may not know, everyone may not know why I'm doing it, but I'm doing it as if I'm doing it for a higher calling. But then adding on to that, because I have been blessed throughout my career to to have um, different awards or distinguishments. However, you know, I'm, I'm always reminded of, 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 of in First Corinthians, where it's like, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain, but I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. So it kind of captures within that scripture, like, okay, yeah, it's not me, it's the grace of God. However, I did work, you know, I, I, I remember when everybody else was going out partying, I was in, I was in, you know, in the lab, I was in, you know, in the dungeon per se studying, but it was still even by me being able to do that was by the grace of God and my spirituality and God's influence in my life allowed me to even have the will to do that. So it's constantly there. And then lastly, <laughs> You know, getting a PhD is hard. You know, it's like that's one thing I can tell people is hard. You got there are going to be some times when you're like, "Wow, why am I here? How you know? I, I can't. This is not for me." However, you know, it was those times when I was like, "Okay, you know, I, I didn't have a a, a person, a, a family member who had gone through it before who could say, okay, this is the thing you should do X, Y, and Z.'" And you know, sometimes it was just having to have that that spiritual grounding to know that I am bigger than, or I have someone within me something within me that is bigger than this current stressful situation I'm going through with my PhD. So those are the kind of ways that I would say the kind of the influence of my spirituality and kind of where I am right now. Yeah, and, and that's that's amazing. And one of the things that I connected with what you say when you talk about, you know, know who you are and know who you're working for. Um, one of the things about my background is I, I played football. We had this Christian group. And one of the things that we that we put down was uh, playing for an audience of one. Right. You know, uh, playing a division one college, you play in front of these large crowds. But like, who are you really playing for? Are you playing for yourself or these people around you? Or are you playing for God? Because when you're playing and you're trying to serve God and everything you do kind of falls under that, you know, the scouts will come, the fans will come, the fame will come. But you got to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And the same thing goes with your work and the way you kind of carry out your life. And so I really connect with that. And I really think that that's a, that's a really important point is whose are you and who are you doing it for? And when you have that as your North Star, you can't go wrong. You know, you come exactly. be a band winner. <laughs> exactly. Everything else kind of, you know, is it, what is it? The book, uh, season COVID or whatever. It's like, you keep the important things important, right? And as long as you keep, or keep the main thing, the main thing, however you want to phrase it, but it's, that's, that's the way I look at it. If, you, if, if keep the important things important, everything else shakes out, you know, everything else kind of works itself out. But, you know, losing track of that sometimes is where it gets kind of, gets kind of weird per se. Yeah. 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 So that, that was a great, I think, I feel like, I feel like we got a good sense of, of who Dr. Jackson is. Hopefully so. You know, it's, it's, at least that's what I kind of articulate to you. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. Right. Yes, sir. And so let's let's go ahead and dive into to today's topic and talking about you know investing in a clean future, uh, bringing up the the future, the youth, and and things that we can do to make sure that that you know we're we're a part of the conversation as we move forward into like this new clean energy, this new clean world. Um, and so the first thing I want to talk about is, is is talk about your day job. And can you give us a quick Snapchat of the work you do and, and how you're impacting the world around you? So the work that I do today, right? So I'm the program manager. I like to kind of summarize in three kind of what I do, right? So the first mm -hmm. thing is we are we're a national lab, one of 17, the Department of Energy has 17 national lab laboratories. And we're one of them. We're the only one that's fully committed, committed to a mission of a clean and energy efficient and renewable energy future. That's our mission space. One mission, that's our mission space. And so my role within that, within that laboratory is I support or I manage, I'm responsible for the program that supports the building technologies office at Department of Energy. And so I am making sure, one, that everything they've entrusted resources to us to deliver, uh, that we deliver that. Make sure we're on time, on budget, making sure we provide, bringing the science to the table that is the national laboratory we should do. Second is because we are a scientific partner. We are a Department of Energy laboratory. We are a partner uh, with our with, uh, with the Department of Energy. We should not just be doing what they've asked us to do for right now. We should be bringing science. Where does science Where is science taking us? Where is the future of the research to go? So we should be bringing some 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 research strategies, some science to the strategies of what's next. And then third, I work at the the National Renewable Energy Lab. So how do we kind of leverage the institution of a laboratory that's working on electric vehicle, that's working on the next generation of solar, the next generation of, 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 of wind, the next generation of where alternative fuels. How does all that 
be leveraged? How can we leverage all of that to do number one and number two better, to do what we do right now better and to do where we see the future going? So that's kind of where I see my role is to really ensure that we're kind of as a program uh, bringing that to bear to deliver on uh, a thing in the future, particularly as it pertains to buildings and communities. That, that's, that's a lot. Uh, but uh, that is very important work, especially making sure that that, like you said, that, you know, uh, our community is, is a part of the conversation moving forward. We started off, you talked about a lot about um, your, your parents, you know, in our pre-interview. And you talked a little bit about your father earlier. But I know that your mother also had a big influence on your mission and, and kind of how you carried out uh, and your value. Can you talk to us a little bit about the, the impact that she's had? on on the the, uh, the projects and, and your kind of your your values and mission uh today uh, that's great and, and 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 it's kind of the the perfect you know i mentioned that i had a marriage of the science skill set with energy interest and, fam- and family legacy and buildings but one of the things that kind of when i was growing up i remember one of you know i, I don't know sometimes i think it was weird but one of my favorite shows was eyes on the five because my mom Mm-hmm. You know, and for those who are not aware, that's a, it's a, that was a documentary series or docu-series basically kind of, kind of you know, demonstrate talking about some of the civil rights and what happened in the civil rights. And so my mom was always, she was, uh, you know, she was a student in the 50s and 60s, uh, and, and she went to Jackson State. So she was a part in the HBCU. So she was a part of that movement in Mississippi. And so she was, and that was something that she always kind of made sure I was aware of who I was and made sure aware, I was aware of kind of just how, things have progressed and how they have progressed, how we, how we are aware where we are, uh, while it's not where we want to be, or it was still there was a progress and there was an effort to get there. So that justice and admission of I am somebody and I am here to help somebody else get to this point, particularly uh, in communities of color, was always something that she instilled in me. Basically, like I say, I remember the stories when Dr. King came to Canton, Mississippi, and he was supposed to march and she was there and they, the police broke it up before he came. I mean, before they could gather and, and, and see, but she was there and had tear gas and just the, the burning sensations that she had in her eyes and that. So those stories stuck with me. And I was always looking for how can I, even like I say, when I went back to get my PhD, it was to how can I utilize my innate skill set in science and engineering to encourage others, particularly to be that reflection of, if so many don't see, to be that reflection of, here's an example of a, of a minority or African-American uh, PhD that you can be just like. So all that being said, while I'm having influence, particularly on a social justice and a, and a civil rights kind of lens, you know, I, um, you know, now bringing that as a lens to the buildings work, the clean energy future work, because, you know, it's not enough for us to pursue a clean energy future that increases injustices that we have today. You know, it's not enough. You know, we, you know, we can't say that we are going to you know, be solely myopically focused, and it's myopic is probably the wrong term because it is a big challenge to address climate change. However, we can address climate change and we can also ensure that we are not increasing social injustices or energy inequities, the energy burdens, energy insecurities. And so that kind of that grounding that my mom really instilled in me from the beginning really kind of plays itself out um, through kind of, you know, my career today. Just as a last point on that, um, my mom started 80, that was in, um, I guess that was about five years ago, and it was, um, you know, we got a chance to go to D.C. That was when and the, the Civil Rights Museum in D.C. at Smithsonian had just opened, and we got a chance to just to experience that kind of opening of such a, a monumentous uh, museum with my mom. Uh, it was a special. We got a chance to go to the White House and keep doing that with my mom, who had seen, had been, you know, it's been in, sit-in, been in sit-ins in the 60s. And now to be able to go to the White House, so there was an, a black person in the White House, serving in the White House, and go to the museum. So those kind of touch me. And so now I bring that level of passion to how do we ensure this clean energy future? It's not just a clean energy future. It is an equitable and clean energy future. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and shouts out to Mama Jackson for, for instilling that because... You know, we 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 read about the, the 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 civil rights era and you know everything that's happened, and the whole point of them going through everything that they went through was so that you know the next generations can pick up that torch and carry it. And what you're doing and the work that you're talking about is that next step. You know, now we have the opportunity to kind of be in those rooms and kind of sit in on these meetings to make sure that we're a part of that future. Whereas 
they were fighting for us to get in those rooms. And so I really think it's really cool that you had that and you had that influence to kind of carry forward and, and carry on that legacy and carry on the mission that 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 your mom and everybody else who were in that fight with her has uh, uh, set out to do. And so this is really like, kind of like the embodiment and the next step of that fight. And, you know, unfortunately, we're still in it, but we're still but we are still in it. If, if, we if, are in it. We are in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just and, to add to that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, just to add to it, where, you know, I think of my, you know, just kind of taking from my dad and my mom, they both had a certain level of kind of influence, but they encouraged me to be me. And so that influence that they had is, that is invited in within my own persona and who are the skills that I have. Like I have, I'm a scientist, you know, I'm a scientist who likes energy. But that, and so I'm still able to be a scientist who likes energy, but I'm bringing that to bear in the field that my dad taught me using the lens of justice that my mom taught me as well. So that's kind of the exciting part, right? You know, people say, Roger, yeah. why are you working so much at work? They, they have asked me this so many times through my career. Seems like you're working all the time and say, this is not a job to me. This is, this is a mission. This is like, this is, you know, I feel like I'm at a point in time that this is where I was created to be. You're where you are. You're where you are because that's where you're supposed to be. And one of the things, before I move on to the to the next uh, to the next question, uh, you mentioned that uh, that documentary, keep your eyes on the prize. And the whole time when you said it, because I remember watching that in school myself, and I still remember the song, "Keep Your Eyes on the Prize." <laughs> that was one of my favorite one of my favorite things. They show it all the time too, so it's 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 burned up there, man. <laughs> So, I used to remember watching it. I was just watching, be glued to it. I don't know why I was yeah. fascinated by that, but I was fascinated. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it, it was us, you know, and it's learning about, you know, the fight that we, that we're continuing to, to push now. So it got us here, if if nothing else. And I think that was the whole point of of you know them showing us that that documentary. And so I think that's cool in in and of itself. So exactly. when we talk about. Uh, you know, clean energy and a clean future. I want to know, uh, I guess let's, let's kind of define that for the audience. You know, what do we mean by clean energy and clean future? And what does that look like uh, in your opinion? Okay, great, right. So if you think about today, you know, whereas how, how is, you know, we typically just got a plug and we plug it into the socket. And there's really, we don't, a lot of times think about, well, okay, what's on the, other side of that, like that, that wall that where that we're getting the electricity from, and that electricity is really generated somewhere. And a lot of times, it's generated through dirty ways. It's generated through uh, taking fossil fuels like coal, or taking fossil fuels like natural ga- gas, and particularly coal is, is is really one of the more dirty ways to do it. And 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 now, kind of burning that, and as you burn that coal, you're going through a process that creates electricity. And so in order for us, because electricity has allowed us to, 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 to get to where we are, particularly as the economy, you know, so it's imp- super important that we've been able to have that. But the way we've done it is through a, a relatively um, kind of a, a approach that doesn't provide, you know, that it's not just dirty. When I say dirty, I mean, when you burn that coal, you're burning, you know, you see, you know, from the cookouts that you have, maybe you've got that, that charcoal and you see the smoke. Mm-hmm. And so if you imagine that you burn coal, there's actually more smoke, there's smut, as we would say back in, the, back in the day at home, right? That smut is just being emitted. And so what happens is that goes into the atmosphere. It's creating uh, a scenario where it's causing our climate to change, right? Where because, it, you know, you don't have to be a scientist, but if you know that if you're putting stuff in the air, it's going somewhere. And, you know, and if it's, you know, if it's causing us to let light in or sun, sunlight in, but we but if we trap it inside of our atmosphere, you know, you don't have to know all the details, but you know, if you put in smoke in there, something's happening. And you add to that car, something's happening. And so what we see is happening is it's, it's, it's causing our climate to change, right? And so when I say a clean energy future is how do we still get that electricity that we want, right? Because I, I still... You know, after a long day, I want to sit back and chill and watch the TV, right? We all want to, to be able to enjoy the lives that we have. And so the question is, can we do that without creating that harmful carbon emissions that create climate change? Because the reality is, you know, when climate change happens, I mean, when the effects of climate change occurs, the people who suffer the most are the populations that are most vulnerable. And a lot of times that's people who look like you and I. And so we want to try to really mitigate some of these things from happening by maybe we get electricity from solar where 
sun is, you know, sun is out, we, we collect the sun, we take that sunlight and we convert it into electricity and we don't burn, we don't burn smut or we release smut or release carbon as a, as a result. So that's clean. We go from where we were previously burning stuff, putting stuff in the atmosphere, to now just taking sunlight, converting it to electricity and using it. So that's kind of where we see a clean energy features, being able to do more of that, whereas that's where you don't, where we don't have those negative byproducts like climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my boss, uh, Dr. Tyrone Tabor, has this saying, he says, you know, yesterday's solutions are today's problems. And so that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah, that burning the coal, doing all this, you know, it got us here. It, but now, you know, we got to move forward to, to a better, to a better, uh, uh, a better way forward, a better way to, you know, push ourselves forward. And so there is a Obviously, in the news, and I, and, I, and I know you're aware, you know, there was just a, a new infrastructure bill passed uh, that's supposed to do a lot to kind of help move us forward. Is there anything, uh, to your knowledge, inside that bill that's going to help us reach this clean future? Yeah, so, uh, and it's a lot. That was one of the things, you know, I know there's, there's even more bills that are being, you know, evaluated or legislated, mm-hmm. or, you know, to be, be even more targeted towards the clean energy future. But one of the challenges that we have is our electricity grid. <laughs> you think about it, that's an infrastructure, right? You, our grid, you're looking to see, you, if you, you know, you're looking to see the wires and, and um, they, they've been there for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And you think about that, right? Our electricity grid is about a century old. And we are now like within our, within our building, think about what you, in your home, right? You got virtual reality, you got all these electrical devices in your home and in your building. We're work, you know, all these things are different, but the grid is about a hundred years old, right? So you imagine just say, okay, we we need to change that infrastructure, update that infrastructure, so that we can now allow us to change the way we generate electricity. Because now, think about the way the grid was set up: was you got a power plant, you burn some coal, you send electricity to the house, you use it. Now as we go to clean energy, where say I want to, I have a solar panel on my own roof, so I'm generating electricity. And let's say I go home, I'm going to Aspen, or I go to Mississippi, or I go to wherever we may go. Uh, when I go to these different places, that sun is still being collected. Where's the electricity going? So I can send that electricity back to the grid. The grid was never set up to go back. You know, it was never. Now we send it doing this where we used to. So it's a lot of infrastructure. So that's where the infrastructure bill is, is going to be helpful to really upgrade the grid. There's some other stuff like uh, EV charging networks and others that will also allow us to do this. But yes, definitely there are ways in the infrastructure bill to be able to allow us to uh, achieve that or move towards that clean energy future. So as we're, we're moving towards this clean energy future, what are some of the challenges and some of the things that you talk about when you talk about uh, uh, you know, equity and, and kind of making sure our community is part of the conversation and, and part of this movement that's moving forward? You know, now that we are here to kind of make that fight, what are some of the challenges and how can we make sure we're part of that conversation? Unfortunately, there, you know, we, we, we live with the vestiges of kind of racism or institutionalized or systemic racism in our country. And, and, it's, it's, and it's manifested itself in different ways. And some of those have been through like infrastructure. Right. And so you think about like things like historical redlining, there was studies of like where different areas, different parts of town, different parts of town were redlined. And so the infrastructure, the building stock itself was not invested in, right? Because it was redlined, that was deemed a risky investment. So what does that mean? That means that now that building stock is, didn't have the same amount that those homes, those commercial buildings, those, they didn't get invested in it because it was a risky investment. So as we think about this clean energy future, those buildings are not as, as they're not ready, they're not as ready to be, to, to have this transition because they're struggling with the existing system, right? And so if you're talking about moving to a new system, but they're struggling with the existing, those are some of the challenges, right? So I think we gotta kind of reconcile and, and say, okay, wait, first let's understand where we are. Let's understand that every community, all communities are not, at the same level, some communities, you know, are more able to adjust quicker than others. And if we just focus on the communities that we traditionally focus on, that may increase that gap. So the first step is to understand where things are and then ensure that we're developing um, technologies and solutions that address it. I think that's twofold. Um, one, that's ensuring that we're on the policy side, 
making sure that we you have you have a lot of uh, policy right now focused on energy justice. You know, on we should ensure that we are being just in how we transition, and that's important. That we should continue to do that. But you know, but there's also the future that's being created through the technology that's being developed. And so if we don't have an eye on ensuring, okay, well, how are we making sure what's coming and what will be new 10 years from now don't have the same injustices baked into it because we didn't, we were not aware and bringing that to the table, then we may 10 years from now be, <laughs> oh, I thought we fixed it, but we fixed it today. Yeah. With all that technology in the pipeline, they gotta be, we gotta make sure that we're not creating a new situation to fix tomorrow. And so that's where I think how we can get involved is by one, understanding problems like through redlining, you know, that, that's an example. There are many others. But that's an example of where there are institutional challenges that exist. Understanding that, addressing it through existing policies, such as some of the things that we're seeing now, Justice 40, et cetera, uh, coming out of the federal government. And then third is making sure that the new technologies we develop are developed in a way that address those existing inequities so that we're not recreating situations to solve later. And, and then I feel like I will I will be remiss if we you know we're talking about solutions and kind of moving forward is, is making sure that we have more people who look like us in these seats you know working with you and and kind of helping you know solve these solve these problems uh, and so this has been a great conversation so far and I will be back but I I do want to talk about kind of the future and the future is, is young people and, and and kids and so right now I'm going to uh, move over uh, and tag Lango in because she has a lot to talk to you about as we talk about the, the future generations. How you doing, Lingo? Doing very well. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Rayondon Kennedy, Lango Dean, and our special guest, Laboratory Program Manager for National Renewable Energy Laboratory and 2022 Bayes STEM Conference Professional Achievement and Government Awardee, Dr. Roderick Jackson. Now, Back to the show. The conversation between you and Dr. Jackson is just uh, fascinating stuff. And Dr. Jackson, you know, I uh, I, I watch a lot of Olympic show, um, Olympic events, and you know, you pay attention to the athletics and and you know the sprinters, the the swimmers, and and all that sort of thing, and and yeah, you know, that opening ceremony, I think is the closing ceremony where you see the torch. And um, I think it was Muhammad Ali who lit the torch in 1996 in Atlanta, right? I definitely remember that one. I have never forgotten that one. And of course, I remember this, the most recent one because we had a tennis star. Um, uh, what's her name again? The, um, I forget her name now. Um, Naomi Osaka. There you go. Yes, that's her. So. I mean, you had a really, I think that you got your head in the game in a very, very exciting way. You know, I mean, Olympic torch and energy, who knew? You know, you wouldn't even think about it or make the connection, but you, you, you were lucky to have this professor and you're also lucky to come from a background of construction people, you know? And then now we're all making this connection, right? Between energy, green buildings, lead buildings and all that sort of thing. We didn't talk about that 30, 40 years ago, if I, you know, and I'm dating myself now. So if you were that professor today and you were talking to young people, what would you tell them to about getting involved in this clean energy movement? Because it is a movement now. Definitely. I think um, one is participation. We, we need a diverse team at the table. I, I use you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a scientist, you know, I, I, I love math. And it, it breaks down like this. If you want 100% clean energy, you can't have 100% clean energy for 30% of the people. Because that does not equal 100%. If you want 100% clean energy, you need to have 100% clean energy for 100% of the people. And otherwise, you're fighting math. And so the only way you do that is, or one of the best ways to do that is to ensure that you have representatives of the 100% of the people, because otherwise you may unknowingly only be providing solutions that fit 70% and then expect the rest to trickle down. I call it trickle down clean energy. 
that that's probably not the most effective way, but if we have more people at the table, people who come from different communities, people who come from different backgrounds, uh, rural, urban, all these different backgrounds, and we can have more people who bring that to the table. Now we're developing solutions and we can raise flags and say, that will never work where I'm from. Or we can, and because nobody's at the table bringing that. And so what happens is technology is developed and they don't work in our communities or we have to rig them. And so they were really never developed for our communities and we make them work. So I think definitely getting people involved from a standpoint of making sure that it can happen. And then, and then second, and then also being able to, to, to say that these are good jobs, right? This is, I get to say, you know, that, you know, people, you know, I, I, I use the analogy on the plane, right? You're on a plane, you meet people when I was traveling, they say, what do you do for a living? I save the world for a living. <laughs> well, stop. And, and I tell the truth, right? You know, what do you do for a living? I save the world. You know, the world, you know, and, and that's something that who doesn't want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, right? So that's where I would tell people that you have an opportunity to be a part of something bigger than yourself and doing it in a way that is something that is significantly affects us as a, as, as a group of people, particularly um, diverse populations, because uh, you look at who has highest energy burden. Energy burden meaning the percentage of your income that goes towards uh, energy costs. African Americans and Hispanics have the lot of largest percent uh, by a significant amount more than other populations. And so, by addressing this thing that saves the world, you actually also can address the thing that causes so many people to to go into um, to, to miss bills because they couldn't pay that utility bill in the summer or that utility bill in the winter. This is something I'm working on, and this is something I would encourage other people to work on because that's what that's what grandma and them are suffering with. You, we all got relatives who are struggling with the utility bill. I'm working on solutions that will address that. That's exciting to me. I don't know. That answer, hopefully, that answers the question. Yes, it does. That's a really cool title. I saved the world for a living. Um, and and talking about the fuel fund, uh, that's a big thing in in the city I live in. I live in urban Baltimore. And every time I get my utility bill, I make sure I make my little contribution to that fuel fund because there isn't much I can do outside of that. But I think if I make a contribution towards that, I'm, he I'm helping someone. And I think with a lot of young people that I know in, in, in the urban environment I'm in, it's like sometimes they feel overwhelmed by the problems of the world, energy problems, and they don't know where to start because there's so many other things that concern them just living day to day. So how do we get people, we need more people, like you say, at the table, more pe diverse voices. So how is that going to happen where young people are going to get the information that they need to make them the kind of energy warriors that you need for the future? I, I think that's a good question. I think, you know, if you start to say we're going to boil the whole ocean, yeah, it gets, it gets pretty overwhelming. But I think one of the things is, is is that find you know as because i was talking to someone before i was like find your inner passion what, what do you what drives you what is that skill set that you are you, you innately have for me it was math and science for me i was like i was a kid who loved math and science so for me it was how can i apply that where are the career fields where are the needs in this space that allow me to apply that okay well if someone else is say no i don't I, I hate math and science i hate science but i love you know i, I love economics well, now we, can, we need people at the table who can start thinking about what are the economics of how this clean energy future will roll out because it, it has to make dollars and cents to make for the work. Or someone else may say, you know what? I hate any of that. I love fashion. I don't even think that's out of the brain. I love fashion and, and making things look good. Well, and, well, you know what? If, if these new clean energy future, if we're putting it on, if we're putting, you all seen it, we, we all, we've all seen it before with those solar panels or on rooftops and it's like, that's the ugliest house in the neighborhood. You know, we need people at, in, the, in, in this community who can say, well, you know what, I can design a better looking uh, solar panel. So it's really first kind of understanding who you are. I think that's with anything, knowing thyself, right? And knowing who you are and your own skill sets and then say, okay, this is what I'd like to do. Now, how can I apply that to this field? Where are the places? Because this place is so, this is so expansive and the needs are so um, broad that it can, we can find your niche and your impact and in, it's in, almost, almost impossible to, to find a skill set that's not needed in this field today. Communication. You know, we need people who can communicate this, who communicate that we need to do a transition to a clean speech. So it's, it's, yes, it's really finding yourself and then kind of diving into where that fits into this space. That's wonderful. So it's like 
first kind of figure out what it is that you like or, or want to do, or maybe not want to do, but what it is that you like, and then find a niche where you can sort of like, you know, plug in that interest. Um, but also, this is a follow-up to, to the next question. What are the programs and organizations that you know out there that are available to help to push um, people, to, to encourage people, motivate, inspire people who are interested? And they may not know that it's a career that's related to energy, but if they get involved with organizations, professional organizations or uh, uh, associations, that they might be able to guide them, you know, guide that interest somewhere. So what are the, the organizations that you would recommend? I would recommend different professional societies, whatever professional society you're in. And there are certain, there are many professional societies that actually have affinity groups within those. And so for me, I would say GEM, the GEM program, GEM organization, that was very influential in my career. I remember um, my mentor at my first job, he connected me with um, my next mentor who also, he, he, my first mentor was a gym alum. He connected me with my next two mentors who were also gym alum. And, and then I've now mentored other gym alums and all getting into this field. And so I think that's an example of a gym program that is designed to expose and to broaden your network in this field and expose you to different careers. But that's one. Others, I would say, you know, I think it's really those professional networks like gym. There's um, NASBE is great if you're if you're in college or in undergrad and, and just like I say, it's really the professional societies and uh, that allow you to kind of see opportunities that you may not see otherwise. Have you uh, uh, come across the Association of Blacks in Energy? Um, how how can they help? I think that's a good example. So it's funny, right? It was uh, I think I, I got, when I was you know I was a senior in high school, I got a scholarship. I think it was like $1,500 scholarship from the Association of Black and Energy. So definitely I was remiss to not bring that up, but it was like, before I knew energy was my thing, that, I didn't even know that was my gig. I got a scholarship there. Fast forward so many, some years, you know, this is what I do. And, you know, so that's definitely an, a, a, an association that if you're interested in energy, particularly if you're interested in energy, that is a great organization to be engaged in. That's great. That got me started. So that, was, that was when it got me started. So that was cool. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm really glad you said that. So if you're a student right now, it, it's important to become aware of the organizations like JAM, NSBE, the Association of Blacks in Energy. But when you were coming into the industry, what were some of the challenges that you experienced as a student and, and how did you overcome them? And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's an unknown sometimes when you, if you don't have a role, if you don't have like, when I was first getting into it, you know, it's like, okay, where do I, um, where do I go? You know, do I go into engineering? My dad's a construction guy. My mom's a teacher. You know, should I go into that? So I think some of it is, is taking the calculated risk to go outside of your comfort zone. So that was the thing for me. It was always taking that, you know, one, finding out as many opportunities are available, finding those opportunities out. So just being eyes open all the time. So I think that's the one way I did it. And then when I find opportunities saying, just jump, seize in, jump in, say, okay, I, the risk that, 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 that kind of paralyzes so many because we're like, oh, I'm afraid and I don't have, you know, nobody has done it before. Everybody, my friends, family saying, why are you doing that? You know, that's not something we do. But pushing through that. I remember when, you know, I, I did a study abroad in Oxford when I was an undergrad. And it was like, why are you doing that? Nobody, I don't know anybody who's going to Oxford. Why are you going? It's like, well, that's the reason to go because, <laughs> and, you know, just jump in, right? And, I, and so I'll, I would just say that, Ability to take risks. When I, you know, I'm from Mississippi, lived in the Southeast, Atlanta, Tennessee. Opportunity came available working in Denver, Colorado, and Golden. It's like I know nothing about cold or dealing with cold and snow, but you know what? It's, like, you know, it's, it's, it's an opportunity. It's a risk, but let's take it. Be calculated. Be you know, talk to wise mentors, wise mentors, but take those risks. I think that's the biggest challenge is overcoming risk to do what you've never done before, or even what your family or your friends have never done before. But if you can just push through those, it, it's definitely rewarding. That's wonderful. So as you were prepared to take risks, I'm sure one thing that was always at the back of your mind is what your mom always told you, know who you are and know whose you are. So I, I think that's really good advice, but I'm still gonna ask the question anyway before I throw it back to Ray. What is the best advice that you were given 
that helped you get to the place that you are in right now? The best ever advice. The best ever advice? You know, it's kind of hard, I would say, you know, to say the best ever advice. I think, you know, it's, um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's probably that, as you just said, know who I am and whose I am, right? Because I think knowing who I am when I'm that, when that imposter syndrome comes to me and I'm in that meeting when I was a junior uh, scientist at a national lab and I'm in a meeting room and nobody in the room looks like me and I'm the least junior, I'm the least senior person in the room, you know, to say, you know what, know who I am. I am somebody, right? This is, this is something, you know, I, you know, my family has encouraged me and I have capabilities no matter what my current imposter syndrome is telling me. I am somebody and who's I am, right? I, I you know, I am a child of God. My, my, I'm a Jackson. My, my dad was always like, you are somebody uh, and God don't make junk. I don't know. You know, I was like, so I think that was probably the biggest thing is just to know who I am and who's that. It keeps me out of trouble, right? Because it's like, okay, if I go do that, is that who I am? Is that who I've been kind of, you know, and, and, and even in business decisions and different career decisions, you say, okay, well, I could do this and it looks like an immediate gain, but is that who I am? And is that, is that reflective of who I am? So I think that's probably the best kind of uh, advice that, you know, that's probably carried me through. That's wonderful. And I, I've got to echo that. God don't make junk. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. And uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. At this point, I'm going to throw it back to Ray. Ray? Thanks, Lango. And you're absolutely right. You don't make no junk. And so just in case anybody thought I was playing or joking when I said that Dr. Jackson was our superhero, you heard it here in this conversation. He said he saved the world. <laughs> and so I don't know how much super you need to get the net. But I really, I really hope you guys took in what he said because that, that really is the future and we really do need more, uh, as, as Lango put it, energy warriors joining the fight. And so as we, as we bring this to, to a close, uh, Dr. Jackson, um, I do want to touch on, on the Bayer Conference. Uh, like I said, it's coming up here um, um, February 17th through 19th uh, um, here in a couple of weeks. But you are our professional achievement winner, which is one of one of the biggest awards that we that we have. And so I want to know just from your perspective, when did you find out that you were going to be receiving this award and, and what does that mean to you and, and the legacy that you're that you're trying to leave and create? Uh, so it's weird. So last year was, uh, it had some personal tragedies. My dad died last year, actually a year ago on the 19th. Uh, so it was, it was last year was a, a kind of a it was kind of a tough personal year for me. So it was kind of weird. So finding you know and and but it was growth as well. So I think I found out um, you know when I found out late in the year it was, just, it, was just, it was still a lot of fog and just some of the emotional grief of dealing with that. But I, it was kind of, it wasn't an immediate, like, oh, wow, great, right? It was kind of more of an evolution of, like, how amazing this is, right? When you think about just those who have come before me and those who are my colleagues and peers in this and to be recognized uh, for, for for the work that I do, it, it's tremendous. And so it's really more of an evolution and the more I'm like, oh, the closer I get to the 17th, like, this is this is significant to be recognized. Um, uh, for the work that I do and, 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 and taking a step back to be recognized for the passion that I have. The work that I do is really just a kind of just a, an outcome of the passion and the fact that I'm lucky enough, I'm blessed enough to be able to do something that has meaning and to do something that I've been able to achieve, you know, different, different measures of outcome with. So that's what I would say. It's been more of an evolution and the closer we get, it's like, oh, wow, this is actually, you know, this is, a, this, this is, this is significant. This is big and really, allows me to kind of uh, kind of juxtapose kind of the last year and just how great, you know, things can still work out in, in, in that situation. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and we're blessed to have you. And, and you, you know, we're lucky to have you on the show and spend uh, uh, just a, a piece of our day with you. Uh, I know we could sit here and we could talk about this, you know, for hours and hours. And I hope we get an opportunity to do that again in the future. But um, as we bring the show to the close, uh, Dr. Jackson, uh, I want to give you the opportunity just to kind of lead the audience with with some words of inspiration. And so uh, I'm the floor is yours. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, I think um, as I think about words of inspiration, you know, I just think about, you know, the fact that, you know, it's, it's that, you know, be look for ways, you know, you can do things that you're passionate about and, and have impact. Right. You know, I remember when I was in I think I was in college when I heard. Um, when I heard it, when I heard this, this saying that when I die, I want it to matter that I live. 
and, and so I bring that to the table and, you know, to, to kind of what I do. And I hope others as well. I remember, you know, that that was something that kind of touched me when I was in undergrad. And then when I was in early in my career, at, in my government career, I was at Oak Ridge and, and, the, lab director, and the social lab director, who's now my um, lab director now, he, he kind of said, okay, Roger, you know, what are you doing that the world will be different because you're here? And, and I was like, wow, like, okay, this is my boss's boss, boss asking me this question, but it was really motivating. You know, one, when I die, I want it to matter to the other. Two, how would the world be different because I was here? And I get a chance to do that. And I think others, you know, I just encourage you, wherever you are, if you're looking at careers, if you're in your career, how do you to, to, to step through that and say, how, even in what I'm doing right now, how can I make sure I do it in such a way that the world will be different? because I did it. And so that's the thing that I would just say that, that I'm blessed to do. And I'm blessed to do it in such a way that I'm recognized for it. And I appreciate it. I'm very appreciative to Bea for recognizing me for doing something that, you know, is like really just like central to me. So thanks to Bea and thanks to all those who kind of uh, participated in developing. I know my job and developing the, the, um, the application and everything. So I'm really just grateful for that. Wow, Dr. Jackson, you're just going to leave us with that bomb, huh? <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate it, and I think that that was heavy. You know, when I die, I want it. I want to. I want it to uh, to matter that I live. Uh, that's it. I just messed that up. You guys heard it. <laughs> but um, again, I thank you for your time. I thank you for being here. Uh, this is High Tech Sunday. I want to thank everyone who's take the, took the time to listen to this episode, and I hope you join us again next week. Uh, my name is Rayonda Kennedy with Lango Dean. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communications Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bayer Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.